I can only imagine. Every time I think of that song, I just picture in my mind what heaven probably looks nothing like. Um, and quite frankly, I don't really care what heaven looks like. I care about my Jesus and who He is. The question's been asked if, if all you got from salvation was Jesus, would that be enough? Because there's something about Him that would leave you wanting more. And I think if you have the right understanding of who Christ is, the answer to that would have to be absolutely no. Left the glories of heaven to live on this ball of dirt for us. That's an amazing thought to me. So this morning, shifting gears, um, I have a question for you. How many of you like to take tests? Hey, there's a couple of people like to take tests. All right. How many of you have taken a test this week? Okay, all the students have raised their hands, but we have some adults that have raised their hands, and I'm assuming those are medical tests, right? IQ test. I don't want to take that one. Um, tests are, are just a really a normal part of life. Sometimes when we think of a test, we think of um, a, an academic test to see whether we know the information that we need to know, and kids absolutely despise tests, and, you know, they... Hey, the, the saying goes, as long as there's tests, there'll be prayer in school, right? <laughs> Lord, please help me pass this thing. I don't have to retake this class. All of these tests generate some anxiety within our heart, especially when you start talking about medical tests, and you say, okay, well, we need to find out what's going on because there seems to be some kind of a problem, and so they want to wheel you back into some room, Dr. Bennett, and they want to run all these different tests on you. And, and then they put you to sleep. And they think, stick things through your arm and go up into your heart. And they go looking around in there. And, you know, all of that. Those tests, they're, they're not something that really bring a lot of um, excitement to our hearts. But I want to talk to you today about a different kind of test. What if I could tell you about a test that should make you feel good? I don't mean like... Yay, I get to take a test. But like, when I take this test, when I go through this test, when I face this test, on the other side of the test, I don't regret it. I mean, that's really the important thing to know. Um, do Was it worth it? Because I've taken some tests, Brother Corey, that weren't worth it. There have been some of those all-nighters, some of those books that we had to read. There's a book that um, we had to read, and, and I'm assuming you had to read it, called Christ and Culture in Seminary. It is the hardest book I have ever read in my entire life. Richard Niebuhr wrote it. It's a fantastic book, but it was incredibly hard. And I am very grateful that the test on that was just a paper that we had to write, because if I was have to going to have to explain anything that he said, I was just out of luck. I really was. It wasn't that the material was academically above my head, but spiritually it was so deep, I don't know how you could have ever begun to even write the test on the book. And so you have a lot of those kind of things that we face in life. And, and so the test that I want to talk to you about today is a test that you get to run. Now that's even better. 
Because wouldn't you rather be the one administering the test? How many of you had your parents tell you when you were a kid, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you? And you always were like, can we swap spots? You know? And the teacher is always like, well, you really, this is, the, the, you know, we need to take this test. Well, okay, well, then why don't you take the test? If it's that important, you take the test, and I'll grade it. Well, this is a test that you get to administer. But not only is it a test that you get to administer, it's a test that you really have to administer. If you're a child of God, now remember, the premise of the whole book of 1 John that we've talked about to this point is a spiritual compass. How God wants us to really understand and know the truth about where we stand with him spiritually. And we've talked about how when someone really is a child of God, there's a love in their heart for other people, right? And, and we really do have a, a heart of compassion and a heart. And Brother Willie, this morning in, in Ephesians, again, we were talking about how, man, if, if God took us from where we were to where we are today and he's brought us together and made us one, well, then there ought to be love for one another. And then we've also talked about how if you're really a child of God, that you would obey his commandments, that there would be things about his law that you would actually rejoice in and that you would, you would be thankful that God didn't leave you kind of wavering out there in the wind trying to figure it out on your own, kind of like being a parent. All of us have said this, I wish kids came with an owner's manual. Some of us have said, I wish kids came with an exchange policy. I found out this week that one of my children, my, one of my own children might have said, I wish families came with an exchange policy. I won't say who that was, Karis. <laughs> but there, there, are, there are all of those things. That we don't like to just be kind of out there and wondering how it works and wondering if this is going to be what we really need or not. And, and so God said if, if you're really his child, there are things about the fact that he's laid out some guidelines like love me first. I mean, I always want to know where to start first, and we start with loving God. Well, here's another one of these guidelines, one of these anchor points, one of these touchstones, if you will, that if you're really a child of God, this is something that should be true about your life. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of 1 John chapter 4. The book of 1 John chapter 4, we're going to begin reading in verse 1. And so when you get there, would you stand with me as we read God's Word? First John chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world, and by this you know, that the, you know the Spirit of God Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, of which you have heard that it is coming, and now it is already in the world. You are from God, little children, because, and have overcome them, because greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak as from the world. And the world listens to them. We are from God. He who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Let's pray. Father, as we prepare our hearts for the test 
that we are to administer every day of our lives. God, I pray that you give us great discernment and great wisdom, that we would not rely upon our own feelings, our own thoughts, our own emotions, but that we would run to your word. And that in your word, Father, we would find an understanding of all of the things we encounter in this life. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. All right, so in your handouts today, you're going to be kind of busy. And so I left a lot of blanks in there for you. I didn't want you to fall asleep because some of us were up late last night. All right? And so since some of us were up late last night, I want to make sure that we all have something to keep our minds stimulated and keep us focused in. And so the first blank in your slide or in your uh, uh, handout there are this. There are only two sides. In this passage, John is telling the church to test the spirits, okay? That when we encounter something that we, uh, as a believer, when we encounter something in our lives, we need to put that to the test. And when we test the spirits, we're going to find out one thing is true. There are only two sides. Now, some people will say there are three sides to every story. Your side, my side, and the truth. Right? If you're Baptist, you believe if there are four of you in the room, there's how many opinions? At least five. But in reality, there are only two sides when we're testing the spirits. It's either one side or the other. Now, this is not what the world says. In fact, today, I have I've been amazed this week as I've looked at the news and I've watched things. You know, sometimes when you're preparing a message, Brother Corey, that you pre- plan to preach years uh, or a year in advance, and then you see things in the news and you're like, how amazing is it that God allowed um, this thought to be in my mind for this time, knowing what was going to be happening. All right, and so this week in the news, and I'm not one to pick on individuals, so I'm not going to name the school, but one of the theological institutions in the United States this week decided to have their chapel service, and in their chapel service, they brought in a bunch of plants, and they gave thanks for the plants whose being sustained ours. They confessed. Yeah, and confessed their sins, how they had mistreated these poor plants. Now, I'm sorry. That is not a valid approach to serving God and to worshiping God. There are two sides. There is the right way and there is the wrong way to, serve, to, to follow Christ. There aren't many ways to Jesus. Now, I want to make something very clear. All roads eventually lead to the throne of God, but they don't all lead past the throne of God, okay? Everyone, the Bible says, will bow before Jesus Christ, but you don't get to pick and choose what righteousness, what you're resting upon when you arrive there. It's not a multiple choice opportunity. This is a true-false Are you or are you not? In our pluralistic world, society, people want to to be able to say that my feelings are valid and they want to feel validated in what they believe. And they want to think, well, you know, I know that you believe that and I know that the church teaches that and I know that the Bible says that, but I know that, that Jesus said that, but. 
For me, what I believe, have you heard that? I think that, you know, if Jesus lived today, and Jesus had the knowledge that we have today, then maybe, well, no. If Jesus lived today, he would agree with me. I mean, after all, God made me this way. In our pluralistic society, people today want to be validated. They want to feel like what they believe is just as accurate and just as right as anything else. And if you don't, that is the ultimate sin in our culture today. It's to say to someone, your position is invalid and is wrong. They label us because of that. Intolerant, bigots, we have all kinds of other names that get attached to us, but I want you to understand something today. If you're going to be a child of God, living in 2019 and moving forward, John's admonishment here in this chapter to test the spirits is going to be critical if you're going to actually live out your faith, because there are many, many, many options that you get offered today. Broad is the way, Jesus said. Acknowledging the different positions is often seen as unfair or judgmental. You can't even talk about the fact that now people have different ideas and different thoughts and different philosophies. Everybody's opinion is equally valid. You have a right to think and believe what you want to think and what you want to believe. And I want to tell you something. As an American, you do. But standing before God, you don't. And all of us will stand before God. And while you may have freedom in this life to determine what you think is right and wrong, even then under the confines and boundaries of our laws, when you stand before God, it is really down to you and Him. And newsflash, he's not changing. His position has been made clear. And so John is telling the church as they're reading this, and he's telling them in the midst of a culture that has all kinds of different ideas. Remember, he's writing this probably to, to the church in, in Ephesus. As he's writing these words, John is saying to them, guys, understand this first and foremost, okay? I don't care what they say at the temple. I don't care what they say at the city hall. I don't care what they say in the marketplace. I don't care what they say in the schools. I don't care what they say on the streets. I don't care what they say in your house. Ultimately, you need to examine everything according to one standard and one standard only. And that is God's standard. And so he tells us here to take a very challenging position. Now, some of us think, well, it's wrong to judge things. Let me tell you something. It is wrong for us to judge people as in to tell them or to say, this person has no hope and, and, and is not, doesn't have any way to come to Christ. And to say that they are they're beyond the reach of God. That is not for us to say, God judges a man's heart. But it is absolutely imperative that we judge what we allow ourselves to be exposed to. My dad used to tell us 
that one of the biggest problems that we faced in our culture during my time growing up as a kid was what he called the 19-inch peephole into paradise. You know what that is, right? Kids, you're not going to believe this. TVs used to be like 19 inches. They were little. And they didn't have remotes. Well, yeah, they did. We were the remote. Well, now, we don't even have to look at the television. We can bring it with us. We can look anywhere we want. There is always an opportunity for us to get somebody else's opinion. Everywhere we go. But that doesn't mean that they're all valid opinions. You have the right to be wrong, but you don't have the right to be wrong before God. Because if you're wrong before God, that's a real problem. So while there may be many versions of opinions, there are really only two. God's and all of the rest. And so when we think about this and we think about what he's saying here, he's saying, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirit. So what are the spirits that he's talking about here? Spirit is the word, it's here, you're used to convey the source of the position, the, the heart of the teaching or of the doctrine. What is it that's behind this? Have you ever noticed that some people will say things and it's just kind of like thinly veiled? It's not really all that they're really saying? They may say something, but then they really mean a lot more than that. What is that that's behind it? What is it that's causing them to take this position? What is it that is the source? What is the, the background? Where did this come from? What does it reside in? And where does it draw its authority from? And so John says, in our lives, if we are believers, we have to test every spirit. In other words, we have to test what's behind these things that we're hearing and that we're trying to discern between. We have to test what is their real root source, what is their authority. And there are only two. They're God and there's everything else. There are no kind of in-betweens. And with that in mind, if there are only two, then one is right and the other is wrong. Because the world today stands in direct opposition to the things of God. If you don't believe that, follow your kids to school and listen to what they're taught. If you don't believe that, turn on your television and listen to what comes through the waves. If you don't believe that, go on the internet and read anything. After all, if it's on the internet, it's got to be true, right? One is right and the other is wrong. And if one is right and all the others are wrong, then what do we do? We test the spirits. Now, how do we do that, Colton? Here's how we do it. When I was a kid and I would go to school and the teacher would give a test. Now, Miss Carol, you correct me if I'm wrong on this because you've taught a few kids, right? The teacher would prepare the test, and the teacher would hand out the test, and the test would have questions. Sometimes they were like real questions that you had to like give long answers for, even short answers. Sometimes they were fill in the blank. Kids, would you rather fill in the blank, multiple choice, or true, false? Multiple choice. And I can narrow things down some, right? And so they would make out these tests, and then the teacher would do something really cool. She would make out what was called the key. And when you took your test and you turned it in, the teacher took your test and compared it to the key. And if the teacher really knew what they were teaching, the key was right. Sometimes, sometimes they make mistakes. 
But the test was always compared to a standard. We have a standard. And everything must be compared to the Word of God. And if it doesn't line up with the Word of God, then there is a problem. Now, what does he say about that? He says, do not believe, verse 1, every spirit. Don't believe every spirit. Just don't do it. This week, I was talking to someone um, that I encountered in an event, and the person told me that, yeah, man, I just love God. I love who He is. I love walking with God. I love, but I don't like the church. Brother Roger, I want to pick on you a moment this time. What if, what if I said, Brother Roger, you know, you're a really nice guy. You're really kind of an amazing guy. I really look up to you, Brother Roger. I'd love to spend some more time with you and get to know you better and learn from you because I think you could make such an impact on my life. But I really don't like your wife. <laughs> and she can't be a part of this. Are you interested? She is sitting next to you. <laughs> Jesus said the church is his bride. Test the spirit. Does it line up with the word? Can you have one without the other? The true church is the bride of Christ. Now that doesn't mean that the church is perfect. Just like, well, it's hard to say that our wives aren't perfect, but we're not perfect and they may be. Okay? But listen to me. Listen to me. If one is right and the other is wrong, you can't believe every spirit. You've got to put it to the test. And in that particular scenario, the person was telling me, I really love Jesus, but I really ain't all that wild about his bride. Imagine how that would make Jesus feel. I mean, he chose her for himself. He died for her to redeem her, to make her his own. I mean, Brother Les, if you want to hang out with me, but you tell me I can't have my wife around, nice knowing you. She's my wife. I've chosen her. She's my prime rib. And so you test the spirits according to the word of God. Does this, that this person is communicating to me, that this thought is coming across to me, that this doctrine that I'm hearing, whatever it is, how does it compare to the word of God? Because sometimes people are very, very clever in the way they, they can structure things. Proverbs says this in Proverbs 14. There's a way which seems right to a man, but the end is the way of death. Even in laughter, the heart may be in pain, and the, joy, and the end of joy may be grief. The black backslider in heart will have his own fill, or his fill of his own ways. He'll pick his own ways, but a good man will be satisfied with his. This one really hit me. The naive believes everything, but the sensible man considers his steps. A wise man is cautious and he turns away from evil, but a fool is arrogant and, and careless. A quick-tempered man acts foolishly, and a man of evil devices is hated. The naive inherit foolishness, but the sensible are crowned with knowledge. The evil will bow down before the good and the wicked at the gates of the righteous. You see, there is that, that element out there that seems to make sense, 
And if we allow the naivety of our heart and the foolishness of our mind to dictate where we're going to go, we're going to have a problem because you cannot trust what feels right to you. Wait a minute. If it doesn't line up with the Word of God, don't trust it. How many of you have ever had someone come into your home and sell you something and they left and you thought, how in the world did I buy that? I knew I wasn't going to buy that. But here it is. You see, in your mind, you think you can figure it all out and come out. But let me tell you, if you compare it to the Word of God, you have an objective standard. You don't have to worry about whether or not you've got it right or wrong or how you feel in the moment or whether this person is particularly skilled in their ability to convince you because there is out there other spirits besides God. That's why he says, beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see what? Whether they are from God. So if they're not from God, then where else can they be from? Well, Ephesians chapter 2. And you were once dead in your trespasses and sin in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Among them we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. And so in this one passage, three verses, Paul gives us three specific things that stand in opposition Three spirits that are in opposition to God. The first one that we see in this is the world. The world around us is in opposition to God. When God created the world, the world was, it, it was perfect. There was no death. There was no disease. There was no destruction. The world in and of itself was oriented towards exactly what God intended. But because of man's sin, even the world was corrupted. And so the ways of the world, the things of earth, we have diseases that are part of our bodies now that weren't intended to be there. We have problems that come again, the, the plagues that come across the earth, the, the storms, the, you think global warming is bad, sin is the root issue. All of this comes back to the same thing. There was a destruction that began because man sinned. And so the world today stands in opposition to God. That's why that at the end of the ages, God's going to remake everything. He also identifies not only the world, because it's easy sometimes for us to see out there that the general culture, the general spirit of the world around us is in opposition to God. But he also talks about our flesh. Now, it's one thing when it's your fault, Brother Jim. It's a whole other thing when it's my fault. You're going to go into meddling now, preacher. You mean I'm capable of making choices and, and doing things that, that will benefit me but may not be what God desires for my life? Of course. Absolutely we are. In fact, on our own, apart from God, that's our only choice. Everything that we choose points ourselves away from Him. But with Christ, it's completely different. And there's a third spirit out there. there. There's the world and its realities and the things that are set there. There's our own flesh that we battle. And honestly, that's probably our biggest battle. And then there is the devil. He is out there and he is desiring to see your destruction. 
He desires you to have uh, just the worst possible scenario in everything so that you will turn your back upon God. So test the spirits. What is it that's coming out? What do you see? What's happening? You have to test the spirits. All three of these work against God and the believer's efforts to follow him. The world does not point you to Jesus. Your flesh, the real you, who you are apart from Christ, never points you to Jesus. And Satan sure isn't going to point you to Jesus. And so then it comes to us to pick a side. Test the spirits. Look at them because he says many false prophets have gone out into this world. And by this you know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. So you're to test the spirits. You're supposed to put them to the test. You're supposed to compare them to the key. And here is the test. You ready? Does the spirit acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Ultimately, that really is all that matters. Now... I want to be careful here because some people might read this on a very surface level and say, well, we all believe Jesus came, and so then we must all be on the same side. But very interestingly, when John wrote this, he did not leave us that option. He said something very specific. Does the spirit, does the source, does the origin, does the position of authority that reflects the thought behind what it is you're testing, does that spirit acknowledge that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh? Let me tell you something. That word changes everything. It is not a coincidence that John didn't just write that Jesus has come in the flesh. Because if Jesus came in the flesh, and that's all that mattered, then anybody who believed that Jesus came in the flesh, you could listen, listen to as an authority. But what he says is that Jesus Christ. So what does Christ make a difference in? How does that change things? When John adds the title of Christ to the equation, he is saying that Jesus came not only to be born here on earth and, and to just take up space and consume oxygen and eat a few calories, but that he came to fulfill all of God's promises that he gave in the Messiah. Throughout the Old Testament, God had said that he was going to send a Messiah. He was going to send a rescuer. He was going to send someone who would save his people from his sins. And because of that, everything that Jesus did was designed to fulfill what God had promised would come. And so if the Spirit doesn't say that not only Jesus existed, but that he existed as God's Messiah, as the promised one, as defined in Scripture, as the one who has all authority over all life, who gets to be Lord whether you like it or not, and at whose knee, or at whose face, every knee will bow. If they're not willing to say that, reject it. Cast it out. Now that makes a lot of difference for us. Because not only now does it mean, oh, well, I believe that Jesus was real. No. Not only does it mean that Jesus is real, but does, it also means that then because Jesus was real and he was the Christ, then he has the right to demand of you your uh, be obedience and submission. 
He is God. He is Lord. He is King. He is the one who created everything. And in Him, everything has its being and its existence now. And without Him, all of us have nothing. We would literally not even exist were it not for Jesus. And because of that, because He has all authority, then everything He says, every word of the book, has to matter. You can't pick and choose. It's not a smorgasbord. This is the key to the test. Jesus is the Word of God. He came that He would redeem mankind. He would buy us back. He would purchase us at a price. We are not our own. We are no longer independent beings out there that that are separated from God, but we have been bought at a price. We're part of His body. He would forgive sins. What a great gift. If you don't believe that Jesus came to forgive sins, then you need to get saved. You have sin. Everyone has sin. There are people out there that say, I don't have any sin in my life. In fact, I don't even really exist. This is just a metaphysical reality and in my mind. I don't know what you're taking, but you need to put it down. He came to forgive your sins because, why? Because you're a sinner. Because you need forgiveness. Because you've done wrong. Because it's a reality for all of us. I'm not pointing my finger at you and saying you're bad. I'm telling you, we all have no hope without Jesus. He came to be the forgiveness of our sins. He came to restore man's broken relationship with the Father. God created us that we would know Him. He wanted from the very beginning when He first formed earth, as He spoke into existence, He wanted to have an opportunity to spend time with you, not because He needed you, but because He wanted to. Because He is holy and magnificent, and His glory would bless you beyond anything you could imagine if you would come to Him. And so Jesus came to restore that for all of mankind, to build that relationship, to rebuild the walls that have been broken down by sin, to rebuild the walls that have been broken down by prejudice and by disbelief. He came for that. He came to provide salvation. Man, when I die, I'm out of here. And I'm not looking back. If y'all are still here, I'd like to say I'm going to miss you, but I won't. I'm going to see Jesus. And when you get there, hopefully we'll notice each other. But it may take me a little while to take my eyes off of my king. He's going to secure my eternity. I don't have to worry about getting evicted once I get there, Brother Gary. (laughs) Don't pay your mortgage and watch what happens. Jesus paid the price, paid in full. He came to do that for all who would call upon him. He came to establish a new identity. Brother Willie, we're no longer Jews and Gentiles. We're no longer separated by by artificial things. We are now recreated in his image. We are His children as children of God. We have been united together in Him. And in Him, we have our hope and we have our being. And everything changes because of Him. And if the spirits that you're testing can't say all of these things are true and they submit to His authority, test the spirits and understand that that's where it boils down to. And so if you're a child of God, then you have to know that these things matter. All of them, every single one of them matter. 
And I didn't list them all. But all of these things matter. And if they stand in opposition to the word, they're wrong. Well, we're so much more enlightened now. I've been given a special revelation from God. We have another gospel. Jesus came to be the only source of hope for all of mankind. I want to just think for a moment. If there could have been another way, why would God have ever sent his son? What would that mean about who he is? If there were another way, what would that say about God the Father that he would submit his son to not only being born and living in this world and all of the things that accompanied it, not only that he would go to the cross and die upon the cross and face the, the, the shame and the, and, the, and the pain and the agony, but that he would literally become sin for us. If God had another way, if there was another possible way besides surrendering to Jesus Christ, then God was the, would have to be the most horrific being of all time to do that to his son. There is no other way. Test the spirits. It is Jesus plus nothing. And if they fail the test, we are from God he who knows God listens to us. He who is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. One is right, one is wrong. Believers, test the spirits. Be careful what you allow yourself to be exposed to. Be careful the doctrines that you begin to embrace and that you may allow to filter into your homes and to your families. Men, stand up and be spiritual leaders in your homes. Teach your children in the way that they should go. Be an example of holiness and of righteousness to them. One of the things that God's been dealing with my heart about is my kids are getting older. And Amelia's dating. Taylor's 20 years old. Probably not far around the corner for him at some point. Stephen is 17. He's going to be a graduating high school this year. The twins are at that, they're, they're teenagers. Their brains are not working just right yet. <laughs> and they're meeting new people. And they're meeting people from all kinds of different ideas. Who do I want them to live their lives with? And how do I want them to be able to determine what that should look like? We all know what it's like to compromise our beliefs because we want to get along. Amelia, Taylor, Stephen, Luke, Karis, every other person in this room test the spirit go to the word of God 
And as a child of God, Jesus plus nothing, or it doesn't belong in your life. If it does not submit itself to the authority of God, you don't want it, you don't need it, it's going to bring nothing but heartache to your life. Test the spirits. If you're a child of God, beloved, test the spirits. Father, this morning as we think through your word, we come to an understanding that it's your way or the highway. You are right. And let God be true and the whole world a liar. So this morning, Lord, help us to examine the things that we're allowing in our hearts and in our families and our lives. Remind us that a true believer doesn't just accept everything he hears, but he compares them to the truth of Scripture. And as he evaluates those things, Father, the question is, what about you? And where do you fit? Lord, this morning as we come to this time of response, God, I pray that you grant wisdom to us, that we would lead, that we would live, and that we would be the people you've called us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.